Welcome to Tech Talks, the technology podcast that exists for the love of tech with David Savage and Jack Pierce, coming to you every Monday and Thursday. Coming up on today's show, our guest is Gemma Lloyd. She's the CEO of Work 180. And then we're asking ourselves, in a digital world, whatever happened to the phrase, don't talk to strangers? Hello, Josie. All right, Dave. This is going to confuse people. The intro even says with Dave Savage and Jack Pierce. Well, that's what happens when Jack leaves and goes to America. Yeah, <laughs> and in fairness, we have been telling everyone on the show now for the last two weeks to try and ruin his holiday. We were trying to get people on Twitter to suggest places that he should drag Rosie. Okay, yeah, well, Hurricane nearly did it for you, so... <laughs> yeah, there is that. But I kind of thought it'd be quite entertaining if he like, got sent to some tech museum in... Tennessee or New Orleans, which would probably not go down well with Rosie. I think Rosie likes technology, doesn't she? She does it as well. Enough to do it on holiday? Yeah, probably not. No. Uh, <laughs> but look, you know, you work with Jack, so you're more than capable of replacing him whilst he's on holiday, and you're from Essex, so <laughs> we've still got that kind of dynamic going on. Basically the same person. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> Well, look, thank you for, for stepping in and joining us. Uh, the interview today is with Gemma Lloyd. She's the CEO of Work 180, and this is all about inclusion and diversity. Stay tuned, though. Josie will add a slightly different dynamic, probably more insightful than Jack, and there's a news article. So on today's interview, we're joined uh, by Gemma, Gemma Lloyd, uh, joining us all the way from Melbourne. G'day. <laughs> How are you? What, what time is it out there, by the Sorry. way? at night at the moment yeah has it been a good day it has it has been a been a been a good day a bit cold though because it's obviously um winter here in australia yeah well trust me i know you were in london not not too long ago um you have escaped london becoming a a bit of a sweaty sauna it's not the best place to be when there's a there's a heat wave because there's no way of escaping it but the last the last kind of four weeks have been fairly dire yeah, no, I was when I was over there recently. They were they had the heat wave then, and um, there's no air conditioning on the tubes. Um, so that was that was interesting getting to work in the morning. I, th- I think that we're just not very well built for it over here. Whereas at least when when you have hot weather uh, where you are in Australia, at least you're kind of prepared for it. So anyway, look, um, you've 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 come on the show and. That is is fantastic because not only are you an award-winning entrepreneur in your own right, but you um, are, are the CEO or co-CEO rather and founder of Work 180 um, and Work 180 UK. Do you mind just spending 30 seconds to a minute explaining what Work 180 is for anyone who's not familiar with your brand? Sure. Um, so Work 180 is improving workplace diversity um, and we do this via our job platform. So we connect professional women with employers that have been vetted on their policies and initiatives. So um, what we do that's different to any other job board is we pre-screen employers on things like pay equity, flexible working, professional development, and if they meet a certain benchmark criteria around equal opportunities and specifically gender equality, then they can join the jobs platform. And your aim, your stated aim is to become the, the number one platform globally for women by 2022. And a lot of that, whilst it would appear to be kind of 
technology and platform driven. It's actually working with organizations to make sure that they are ready to employ women in a way that actually, so that environment benefits them, right? Well, that's exactly right. And the reason for that is twofold. So, I mean, companies can, um, I think most good organizations realize the benefit of having a gender balanced workforce, but there's absolutely no point in going out to market to attract women into your company if your company isn't a good place to work because then at the end of the day you're just not going to retain your employees so Mm. what we do is we help employers via our criteria you know know what a good workplace looks like and then they can you know go out to market and attract women so in the they may um so then women are obviously going to be retained by that organization and Mm. um what work 180 believes is that um well the way that we structured our job platform is actually all about the individual, so the job seeker rather than the employer. So mm-hmm. that's why we have a minimum benchmark to join. Um, we want women to have trust in our platform and get jobs with companies that are truly going to support them. So whilst the platform's obviously consumer-focused, you're working with employers to create policies and improve environments. Who are you partnering with on the client side? Because I think it might be quite lazy of me to assume it's, it's going to be women within those organisations who are trying to transform them. I mean, what, 12, 13% of the technology market is, is currently women. So I'm, I'm guessing you're having to find men who will also be champions and sponsors within those organisations who view this as being an issue that they want to take action on too. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I'll say the, the majority of the employers that we work with um, – we are reached out to by men, either executive men, um, so C-level uh, CIOs, for instance, who want more women in their tech teams. Um, you know, um, so the types of organisations that we work with are companies like Microsoft, um, HSBC. Uh, we also work with companies like Zendesk, which are sort of mid-sized tech companies, Atlassian, mm. which they're just gaining their presence in London, but they're a big global um, tech company as well who uh, who have built Jira. So obviously the appetite is there is there for these organizations to change and you've got sponsors on the inside. So I suppose the really interesting point is why is or hasn't it changed up to this point? What what are the common barriers that you see when trying to make an environment more transparent and and more accessible to to women? That's a really good question why things haven't changed. And I think um, I think there's two ways of approaching problems. There's there's a bit of a carrot and then there's a stick approach. And the approach around with work, what Work 180 has done is actually been the carrot approach. So what we do is we, um, we promote companies doing the right thing. We reward the good employers. We don't call out employers not doing the right thing, if right. that makes sense. Yeah. And so by promoting the good things, what's working, um, and showcasing, I guess, what employees' competitors are doing and the benefits that they're receiving from a gender-balanced workforce, it's actually gotten the intention from companies going, hang on a second, wow, is, is that what people are doing? Um, is, that what, is that what is working? And then um, that's what's driven them to make the change. That's what's driven companies in Australia to close their pay gaps or implement flexible working policies mm. or um, you know, increase the amount of paid parental leave because Work 180 just is talking about this publicly so often. Now, when you go on your LinkedIn profile, 
and this definitely doesn't happen on mine, uh, and you click on the list of people also viewed, um, Malcolm Turnbull, the Prime Minister of Australia, pops up. And it, uh, I think that's a kind of a nod to the fact that you've got quite a lot of influence. <laughs> so if you kind of look at the the, the um, platforms that you've given expert commentary and, and talked on, you know, Sky News or Sky Business News, ABC Radio, uh, Channel 7 Tonight Show, you obviously have a voice. Um, you mentioned there some of the policies be it equal pay or flexible working. And often when we've spoken about this particular subject, um, we've asked people what's the most important thing that, that could be reformed or what's the most important thing that needs action on. When you're talking on these platforms, and obviously you've got your finger on the pulse, what do you push? What's What do you advocate the most as possibly being the first domino to fall in helping to change an environment, in, in helping to engage and encourage women to work for a business? Well, the very first thing I think that employers need to do is have gender-neutral policies. And so that that means gender-neutral flexible working, gender-neutral pay parental leave, because you can't just say um, we're implementing all of these things for women um, at the exclusion of men. So when we do the criteria, we want to see gender-neutral. What we really like is when employers encourage men to take up flexible working, take up paid parental leave, look after their children. Because at the end of the day, until men can take up more of an equal shared responsibility at home, it's near impossible for women to be able to progress in the workplace because obviously they've got to do more of those duties if employers are, you know, more supportive, you know, of a female doing that, if that makes sense. And do do you see there being a cultural difference between Australia and the UK? We often think of Australia and the UK, despite being on the other side of the world from each other, as kind of quite closely related cousins. But are, are there, are, is there more appetite for this in Australia than the UK? Or could, what can the countries learn from each other? Um, that's a really interesting question. And to be honest, it just depends on you know, every company is, is different. Um, and, you know, um, so some employers in Australia are very, very progressive and others are completely stuck in the dark ages. And that is the exact same thing that I saw in London. Likewise, you know, when you're talking to people around this particular issue as well, I think Australia, I, I think Australia has a slight, slightly more blokey culture. Right. Um, you know, where... Uh, it's just, I mean, I live here and so I'm probably more exposed to more people. So right. <laughs> what I'm saying is purely from Gemma's experience and may not be the, the reality of it. <laughs> out, out of interest and very quickly, you talk there about the fact that one company can be different to another and obviously that stands to reason. But could, do, do you find that yeah. actually within one company, the Australian business can be quite different culturally from a business in another country and therefore more needs to be done internally to help grow a culture uh, more on, on, on a global scale. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's certainly true. So some employers are very globalised, so to speak, and others are, might be global organisations, but they still have very localised way. Their culture is very localised. Their policies might even be localised. Um, and again, that's different from employer to employer. I would say Microsoft is a good example of a company. And Zendesk actually is, is a fantastic example, you know, of companies that are progressive on a global scale. And, you know, I'd say their cultures are fairly similar 
across the different regions. How, how are they achieving that? Because you kind of you think of technology and you kind of think of it being quite frictionless, quite borderless. What are they doing that helps enable those policies to to kind of transcend those geographical borders? Mm, it's just well, it's just being driven from the top, and the top is you know making sure that their leaders in each of the regions you know share their values and enforce the values of equality and diversity um in each area so um so yeah it's just taking a firm stance on that and also i guess good hiring you know hiring Mm. people with with good values as well before we before we wrap up the interview it'd be really interesting to find out from you if there's one thing that you could Say to someone working in an organisation now who's facing this challenge, who wants to do something about it, what can they do? What could be their first step along along a journey to, to making their, their environment more transparent and diverse? Well, there's a couple of things that I say to that, and it, it depends. If you, if you, you know, feel like you have already tried to do these things and you're not being listened to, and I, the reason why I started that company is because I was actually in that position myself and I didn't see there was any hope. So that's why I started Work 180. So I think if you're in that position with an archaic employer, understand that you don't need to actually be in that position. There are really good companies out there. And do your research and and leave and go to someone that's actually <laughs> going to support you. Yeah. Um, and other than that, um, I think, you know, a good place to start is you can a lot of people you know start different diversity networks within their organization or get together a group of champions but you know it's talking to the leaders and managers to see what the appetite is and the buy-in um there's there's ample research online around the benefits of doing these things but like actual you know financial benefits as well so hopefully if you can bring the data to the top then it, it shouldn't take too much convincing um but it but i think that's only the case if you, if it's a company that has a good culture where, you know, the people listen to each other and they're fairly inclusive, but maybe they're a bit in the dark ages with their policies. Other than that, I'd say probably just get out. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I, I really appreciate you giving up some time in an evening. Um, because obviously with the time difference so thank you for taking some time to join the show and uh how it's it's reasonably recently that you launched in the uk right it's only it's only within the last half year yeah it is it is very very recent but um it's come off the back of um a significant number of inbound inquiries that we had from the region yeah um and also the support from um the UK government as well around gender equality and um, you know I was even lucky enough to to go and visit Theresa May at um, at 10 Downing Street over there mm-hmm. around the tech sector which was which was quite a great experience um, and then we're launching into the US into New York in a couple of months. Cool well look best of luck for that launch I hope it continues to go well in the UK and thanks for your time today. Thank you David. <laughs> I'm going to be slightly controversial. Okay. The biggest thing that came through from this talk about inclusion in the workplace and making it a better place for women to work was that it was all about men in the nicest possible way. And I say that because she talks about the fact that it has to be a top-down approach. Yeah. That you, you have to basically have this driven by the leaders of an organisation. And unfortunately, if you look into the stats, Deloitte's talk about you know the number of women in the boardroom. Only 12% of women actually sit on the boards. So if the starting block is an organisation being more diverse because it's being led or implemented or driven rather by its leaders, it's going to have to come from men. 
I think it does from the top up in that respect within an organisation. Um, but I will say, I, I felt the opposite. I felt that the reason I actually love this idea and this platform is it's returning the power mm -hmm. back to applicants. Yeah. You know, we often find, you know, in recruitment that big companies, as mentioned, like Microsoft, have a lot of power because they can sort of cherry pick who they want from sort of a pool of candidates. But I thought that this really returned that back to women in the fact that companies have to be pre-screened. They have to be made attractive to women. So in that respect, it gives women power to choose where they want to work and why they want to work there. Yeah. So although it has to come from the top down to affect change, you know, people are always going to want these people to join their organisations. So sure. it's almost returning that power back to women. I did think it was quite interesting that, you know, the pay gap, which is obviously, obviously been seen as a bit of a negative for many companies. You know, they, they were kind of getting away from the pay, pay gap aspect and promoting and rewarding good things that organisations were doing. It seems to place heavy emphasis on, you know, uh, show to your competitors the good things that you're doing and, and inspire them possibly to, to better standards as well. Yeah, I thought that was really great. Um, I will say I think a lot of the media around diversity at the moment is around shaming companies for not being diverse enough. Yeah. Um, and I think spinning it the other way to try and come up with, you know, showing what's good, showing what can be done and, and almost offering more of a solution based sort of idea rather mm -hmm. than just saying to people you're not diverse enough you know this platform says well if you want to join us and you want to be pre-screened as diverse then this is what you need to do and, and this is how we're going to support you to do that so I thought that was really great as well. I mean look do you think that organisations will join a job board? Will they go through that hoop of saying you know there's the, there's the mass job boards there's the reads.co.uk um, there's the indeeds of the world there's the CW jobs which has obviously got these huge pools of of, of candidates on there I would hope that organizations would go the extra mile to go no hang on we're good enough to get on this job board um, do you think that's the case if you'd have asked me that question a year ago I probably would have said no I'd have probably said I think companies just think there's enough people out there that they can approach and they don't need to change because they're so great as a business they're successful they don't need those people yeah but I think over the last year kind of all the changes that we've seen I agree with you I think people will go the extra mile. Because of cultural pressure and things like Me Too and other bits and pieces? or Cultural pressure, but also just having that diversification within your organisation yeah. and the way that companies who are diverse actually are starting to be proven to actually do better and be more successful. It's funny, isn't it? It's less of a social kind of concern and more of a commercial concern for a lot of organisations now anyway. Yeah, definitely. But it seems to be. Yeah, and I think, you know, if this is the way that people are going to get the best people into their organization then if they've got to do is improve in this regard i mean it's not going to do them any yeah. harm is it so no i agree with you i think people will will start to get on board i mean i do i do find a point about the appetite and leaders interesting you know because to me that says that without men supporting then there's going to be not as much progress as there should be that's not to say that that the 12 percent of women can't make a difference of course they can but they need support and they need sponsors from from men leading organizations too it was also really heartening to hear the you know the kind of people that reach out to them men or males in cio roles you know wanting to increase the number of women in their teams and she kind of name checked hsbc microsoft zendesk aplasian as really good examples of progressive organizations that's really mm -hmm. positive to hear no, definitely. And I was really impressed by that, if I'm honest with you. Um, when she kind of mentioned the kind of organisations that she is reaching out to and she is working to and she's even got approaching her, I think that kind of instilled me with, with a nice little bit of hope that actually these companies are getting on board. They are seeing the value in it. Um, and like you say, they're reaching out to her. So, Just this one last point. I thought 
was particularly uh, insightful. Um, the first thing, the first kind of thing that you need to, to do, she mentioned, was about gender neutral policies and that shared responsibility at home. You know, she, she wants men to be encouraged to take paid parental leave and that would allow and give opportunity for women to progress and carry on in their careers. Yeah. And that's obviously, that's not just in the workplace. It's, it's, a challenge, it's challenging a kind of a cultural norm that's existed for God knows how many years. But I think that's one that I've always thought it's odd that, that, that um, a woman can give birth to a baby and two weeks later her husband disappears and she's just left. Mm. So any organisation that gives more family support, that's got to be a good thing just generally. Yeah, definitely. And I don't. I think that's kind of a bigger issue than even sort of diversity. I think that comes down to the culture of an organisation. And like you say, they're stereotypes that, you know, are outdated now. Mm. That should have been changed regardless of, you know, diversity and, and all that, but the differences in the workplace. I think that's an, that's an issue for a company to look at themselves. And if they get it right, then they'll just keep more staff generally. Exactly. It's all about retention, isn't it? Cool. Anyway, look, that brings us to the end of the first half of the show. Gemma, thanks for joining us, um, but do stay tuned, because after this advert break, which is short, we've got some news. Jack, I know it's a bit of a stretch, but just imagine you're running a business, okay? And you need to grow that business, and talent, as you know, costs a lot, mm. not to mention it being hard to find. Mm. If you could hire a software engineer for your business that probably has a terrible product if your track record is anything to go by, <laughs> But it's trained specifically to your business needs for just around 24,000, would you? Dave, that sounds like a bargain, and I think I would. I'm slightly insulted that you can't picture me running a business. <laughs> I know, it's such a stretch, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, well, you'd be in luck because there is a new program that can deliver highly skilled developers, um, way under the usual cost quota by recruiters. Mm. So why don't you prove me that you do have a little bit of business savvy acumen there and get in touch. Do you know what? I'm going to, if not just to prove you wrong, but who do I drop a line to, Dave? How do I get in touch? Easy, you simply email future-skills-program at harveynash.com. Future-skills-program at harveynash.com. Can they find me a new podcast co-host to replace you? Shut up, please. Welcome back to Tech Talks. It is time for the news. And this week's news we're taking from HuffPost. It's a blog. Uh, the headline is, how do we teach children not to talk to strangers when social media is a part of our lives? And this is um, written by, I've got it written down here, so apologies, Ellie Pilcher, who is a marketing social media exec herself and talks a lot in the article about the fact that she spends a lot of her time on social media. Mm -hmm. Josie, how old are you? I am 23. And your parents probably said don't talk to strangers. All the time. All Still the time. Do. Still do. <laughs> what, what do you make of this? Because I, I do get the point. Like, with social media, technically you're talking to strangers. I just think they have two different angles. I think, yeah, you're talking to strangers, but I think you can see social media as like an onlooker. Yeah. You know, you read people's comments, you see what people are doing. I think there's a massive difference between doing that and actually getting direct message by strangers. Yeah. You know, and, and actually commenting on strangers' posts. Like, People do that to me still, and I still find that very bizarre. Yeah. You know, that's personal to me, whereas I think you can use social media as, as a non-personal. I do think there's that, that. that cultural thing as well. Uh, you know, people talk disparagingly about people sliding into DMs. 
<laughs> you know, it's like that thing. You just don't do it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and if you do, do, you might get called out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's a possibility that someone might call you out on it. And there is that thing that, yeah, all right, you might not know who a person is. And the article talks about the fact that you might be slightly, you know, you're hidden, you're protected by a screen and you might be miles apart. But equally, you can see who that person is. You can see who they're connected to. And if you want to tell everyone else that they're being weird or being a creep or making you feel uncomfortable, you can. Yeah. You can call people out. And I think it, it's so different because, like you said about the connections, like someone might message you, you look at their fo- your phone and you've got 200 mutual friends, you know what school they went to, you know where they, not where they live, but you can basically work out where they live. You know, yeah, yeah. If you know enough information about someone, I think it's more questioning what, what is a stranger, yeah. you know, rather than is social media giving us access to strangers. Um, so for me, like I, it's obviously an issue, but... I think there is a bit of a grey line around that. Yeah, and I mean, she makes the point about kids getting into car with an Uber. Sorry, yeah, we're, we're told to never get into a stranger's car, yet we do this all the time with Uber. But I would argue that you can see a driver's rating. Mm-hmm. It's, it's recorded. There's data there. Yes, I know there have been some issues globally. But I certainly in the UK, I would view Uber as a far safer option than the alternative 10 years ago when I used to kind of stumble out of a bar or a club and you get into an unlicensed unregulated taxi at least for all of the regulation problems around uber you, you there is some visibility right definitely and i think it's one of those arguments where you know if if i'm getting the uber home in the evening for me that's a much safer option than going on the underground and getting in a carriage with a stranger yep. with no one around you know for me an uber is the safer option because exactly like you say you've got their name you've got their rating you've got their reviews if you don't like the look of that person you can request another one yeah, yeah. you know there's options there and, and i think it's a bit extreme to be talking about social media and the influence on children and then reference Uber because I personally, when I was 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, however old, would never call my own taxi. No. You know, this is an older person issue rather than a children. Like, <laughs> you know, so, I, I'd sorry be... to Ellie, I hope that, you know, you're not making her feel <laughs> an agent. No, it was a good article. I should just nitty yeah. <laughs> points. Older person issue. <laughs> but look, she does make one really good point um, that I think does warrant a lot of deeper thinking actually you know she says here the one thing that always surprised me was how unprepared kids were at 10 and 11 years old even with within a slightly obvious environment um they were there to learn safety and yet they still gave away a lot uh, and even attempted to add me a complete stranger apart from a volunteer who they'd listened to for an hour on social media the next day or the following day that's fair like i do think there's an element that parents maybe aren't preparing kids for knowing what data in a data-rich environment is valuable. You often think in cybersecurity about soft targets. So if you want to attack HSBC, and HSBC are working with a company that don't have strong security protocols, you can get into an HSBC, for example, I'm just plucking them out of thin air, but you can get into that larger organization through a a soft target. Um, Kids could be soft targets to parents. They might give away data or information about their parents to a hacker without realising. And that's that's not something I'd ever really thought about until I started kind of reading this. No, I agree. I I think the the aspect around hacking, around kind of personal details, um, you know, my mum used to give me her card all the time and say, you know, here's my PIN number, go and get some cash out when you need it, if she was at work. You know, that's valuable information there that someone could take from me as a child and I wouldn't even know what I was doing wrong. Um, But I think that's down to the parent in a way. 
yep. because I still think that you know you could have someone discuss it with you in a school environment or day to day and you'd still give away that information so that's down to a parent to say this is private this doesn't go any further you know give give those teachings basically yeah and it did make me think I mean she, she says that you know there are resources on the internet for parents and adults to refer to when it comes to digital safety and it reminded me of um, Azumi who were on the show maybe six to nine months ago their CEO and founder Douglas Lloyd and they've they've built a Netflix for kids with the express idea that it is a digital world you can't turn the clock back on it. So the best way to prepare is to make sure that your kids understand how to behave in a digital environment as safely as they possibly can. Mm. And yeah, the, this article raises a lot of valid points, but ultimately everyone's still going to be on these platforms. Yeah, definitely. I think you can control it, though. I think there is ways out there. You know, when I was a kid, we had sort of like locks on our phones. We could yeah. use certain apps. You know, you've got parental locks. There, there is different ways you can control it. Um, but I think, it, you know, it's for parents to go the extra mile to work out how best to do that. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the show. No worries. Right. Enjoyed it. Hope you've had, Short enjoyed having me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we've got we've got we've got a pre-recorded show lined up for Thursday, but Jack's away next week, so <laughs> he's not coming back anytime soon. We well, might not get his job back. Yeah, hopefully not. You all enjoy hearing my voice much more, I'm sure. Oh, it's less nasal, that's for sure. <laughs> anyway, look, thanks for your time, and we'll talk to you all again on Thursday. Bye.